that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we gotta start all over start again. The, I just start from the laughter part anyways. Right. Okay. Hey, guys. It's Alma. This is Yvette. And we are Tipsy, Tipsy Tales. Tales. So we went to Sedona this weekend, had an absolute blast. If either of anybody, anybody is following our IG page, <laughs> um, we had some pictures up there. We have a couple there. of people. <laughs> Two. Two. But me and you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we had some pictures up there. We, we rented a little house. Albert had great um, taste in picking that rental house that we went to awesome had a great little yard um a zen area we were stuck on a hammock oh my God, a little it bit it was beautiful <laughs> it was it was the cutest little house it really was had a nice kitchen just the patio area was just it was perfect it was it really was it was kind of a serenity feeling calming until albert took us uh off-roading and then it was just a lot of anxiety and drinking <laughs> Yeah, a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I think he was doing it on purpose, though, because he's like, I'm a great driver. Watch me do a donut here in this very good dirt. He even asked my husband, what kind of dirt is this? And my husband's like, good, good dirt. dirt. Like, Rrr. And then we had to rein them in just a little. A little bit. And he was like, I'm a grown man. I can drive any way I want to. You were like, sure. <laughs> As we're thinking, don't die, don't die, don't die. Yeah. <laughs> don't crash, don't crash, don't crash. But in all reality, he was he did he really did. No, well. He did a great job. Yeah. And it was fun. It, it was, was fun. Blast. I'll admit that now. Found a couple of hiking stacks of rocks. What are they called? Wow, I call them hiking stacks. They're called carnins. Hiking, Cairns. sure. Carnins, sure. <laughs> I'll leave hiking carnins. The, there you go. Two hiking carnins. We saw some of those. <laughs> if you guys are in Sedona, check out the original Oak Creek Brewery. They have a great uh, selection of beers, craft beers. Yeah, I think we've talked about them before. Yeah, I think we have as well, but we have pictures. Done, I finally so. got to, I finally got to go visit. That was my first time going there. And then I've had course, their beer before the last that one time that we went up. We there, went Lucy and Ethel out we there. We didn't go to the actual brewery. It's cute. It's cute. It's a cute then little you, spot. you saw your du- el duende. El duende. Was looking at you, shaking yeah, his head like, in oh judgment. Oh my god, that has everything to do with our story. I'm telling you. Yeah, um, we were up there, and, and we actually wanted to get a little bit of editing done while we were up there too. <laughs> um, the whole intent of our visit was to go visit the uh, wine, wine festival. festival. And then uh, we started drinking at like 10.30 in the morning, and we didn't quite get to the wine <laughs> And festival. if you took the poll, uh, 98% of you said it was fine, fine, yeah. fine. <laughs> so we were like, okay, okay, okay. okay. So we're going to do that. And then so and we, we took, did that. Definitely. Also, when mm-hmm. we were out on the razor, <laughs> we decided to stop and just take in... Because there's such amazing views from, like, the trail that we took. And, you know, Yvette loves to take pictures. (laughs) So we all stopped and we took some pictures and I really needed to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Alma did not heed my advice. No, she said, don't go that way. That way, danger, danger. Don't go there, Alma. There's, There's snakes over there. She's like, oh, okay, Yvette, sure. You know, toss my my opinion, my uh, advice to the side. I was like, was I'm like, gonna be fine, 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 fine. And I started walking, like not even like one minute in, and I almost stepped on a snake. <laughs> and the next thing you hear was me like screaming, and I'm like murder. shaking my head, like I told you, I told you, Alma. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so that was our adventure. All right, guys. So and what else? 
Oh, I actually have notes. I should probably open that up beforehand, huh? So anyways, I was looking at um, Instagram, found uh, this thing called an Aztec death whistle. Freaked me out. And so now I'm uh, so trying to So you had to, to share it with me. I did. To freak I me the fuck out. I immediately tagged Alma because, you know, the struggle was real, real. And so um, now I can't... Damn it. So now I want to play it. If I could ever fucking find so it again. This is the Aztec death, death whistle. whistle. Okay, it was the second time that's worse. It'll get much better after the third. No. Okay. All right, make it stop. Stop, make stop, it stop, 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 make stop, stop. I'm like getting anxiety Yvette. over it. Yvette. <laughs> <laughs> right? So is that something they play like in their rituals i would assume so that's what they're calling it so i didn't get the I whole background see, like I a just... head rolling off the side of a freaking aztec pyramid going dunk, 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 dunk. girl i ah! felt the same way we all watched that one movie <laughs> apocalypto there you go yeah. sure so um but yeah we i freaked out and i was immediately like i gotta tag alma because i want her to have nightmares too <laughs> <laughs> Are you just paying me back? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this wine is actually kind of good. What okay. Is it? it is uh, Three Thieves, and I apologize because I actually got it a week and a half ago, and I don't remember I got it. I'm pretty sure it was Total Wine, but I can't promise it was. It's a it's a cab. It's from California. It's, let's see, I believe it's the, either way, it's called Three Thieves. It's a cab. It's really good, but then I don't think we've had a bad wine yet, so... You're really, really, really good at picking wine. I do. Let's just chalk it up to that. Sure, I'll go with that. <laughs> Two thumbs up on this end. Okay, so what are you what are you going to talk about today? Actually, before we kind of get into that, I know a little bit of a serious note, but I actually um, tend to be a little bit oblivious when it comes to a lot of the news. And so um, I, ha- I was talking to one of my friends yesterday, and they were discussing this whole case going on with oh, yeah. um, Kavanaugh and Dr. Ford. So I I'm like, I, I'm thing. seeing that. I'm, I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm seeing these headlines come across my phone. I'm like, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And um, so today I got the I got an opportunity to actually listen to it. I'm on my way here actually, and my anxiety skyrocketed when she was starting to um, detail how things happened, and. Um, I, I completely I completely felt for her and because at a very young age um, I went to a neighbor's house and something very similar happened to me when I was very young I started crying on my way over here and um, it just drives me crazy that a lot of people tend to choke this up to oh boys will be boys and they were just drinking in reality that's that's why we have the society that we have. And I know we don't usually get political, but I just could not even help myself today. Well, I think this is something that transcends politics because it affects everybody. It affects everybody. And the statistics that they were giving was like one in 10 women, but that's just one in 10 women that have reported right. these things. And that's the biggest thing. They're like, well, why is she reporting it now? And I'm like, you know how hard that is? Right. Even me. I was very young, and I rarely mentioned it to me, but the life-lasting memory and problems that it's caused me as I got older, you know what I mean? It's it's devastating. And when you bring me back, and I can remember those things extremely clear, 
although there were over 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And um, I just, like I said, it just really bothered me a lot. And I just feel like it's not an easy thing. What is she getting out of it? I mean, her no, family's under um, protection because she's getting death threats. And I hate the fact that they actually made it get political, even though I know it's the environment that's going on right now. I just... I felt for her because I heard the emotion. I saw, like, because we watched it from the beginning and just watching, like, her mannerisms and, like, she's just super brave putting that all out there. Right. Just, like, everything she said from beginning to end. So believable. And not just that it was believable, it was just because you just saw this wasn't easy for her. It wasn't. It's hard enough to say to somebody that you love to make this kind of a confession or talk about these things. But she was putting herself out there, not just for the Senate, but for everybody to see the United States, like everybody. She was just like burying herself, her deep deepest parts of herself that she had kept locked away for a long time for, from just I and mean, I, I guess people don't realize well I'll say people but I don't think people understand the effect it has on women right. how long um, that lasts and how as we get older some of those things really rear their ugly head I know that um, I was listening to a different podcast and they and it was a, a female girl who discussed something not similar but similar enough and I guess um, when she ran into that person who pretty much was tr- almost pretty much if she hadn't had if she hadn't fought with all her might, she likely would have been raped. When he came back later on, several years afterwards, apologized to her. She had kind of a closed loop, but right. within that time when he tried that, um, she had um, she tried to um, commit suicide. She cut her hair to become less attractive. I mean, there's a lot of things that in a in a woman or a very young girl's psyche that goes haywire, and you don't realize. Well, it affects. Mis- it has like a ripple effect. Because it even affects, you know, like you could have the perfect, perfect love life with your significant other. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you start having intimacy issues. And of course, I think I'm speaking from a personal place right. and I'm not ready to put my stuff out there. But I think a lot of it has to do with that. You know what I mean? So you're talking about that. And I, um, like I was reading a lot of those articles and I'm a glutton for punishment. So I always start reading the comments and this girl was talking about, you know, like how brave she was, you know, that she went through the same thing. And but she was watching it with her dad and her dad was making comments and saying stuff like, you know, what took her so long to come forward? That doesn't make any sense and blah, blah, blah. And she was she was on the verge of relaying to him her personal experience. And he said she was asking for it. She wow. was there drinking I mean, she, what a slut. He like literally said this and it stopped her in her tracks. And so this poor girl's never, ever going to say anything. And this is a reason why people don't say anything. Right. Do you know what I mean? Again, imagine her being a very young girl. I mean, in high school, these guys are probably popular. She mentioned the fact that they were laughing at her expense. And that's, it's haunting. It's right. haunting. Right. So anyways, I thought I'd bring that up just because... You never know. I mean, I guess this is women. I just want to support any sort of woman that has those sort of issues. Um, 
I believe her. I mean, I, I know that's a big hag tash right now. The whole Me Too is a big hag tash. Hag tash. Hag tashing. Hashtag. Um, <laughs> hashtag. <laughs> okay. Alma. It's okay. We're going to call it a hag tash from now on. Yes. That's, that's our thing. That's our thing. And, um, I give and I, I just feel it's that a lot of people dismiss it. Oh, well, women are being overreacting, but it's. And not only that, but on the other side of that, it's boys being boys. And and again, that's not okay. It's that's not. the reason why we have the society we have, and those comments made by that um, that comment that commenter's dad. That's why we have those comments. That's why men tend to value. I shouldn't say all men, but it's that it doesn't seem to value our experiences and our um, us being victims in that sense. And that's why it tends to happen over and over and over again. Because they're, oh, they're just boys being boys. And somebody, like I said, on that same podcast I listened to, they had said that sometimes boys in high school drinking like that are just not the best versions of themselves and they may grow up to be better people. Right. But it doesn't change the fact that those lasting effects on those girls at a very young age. But we should stop telling our boys that it's okay. And we should stop telling our girls to be polite to everybody. Like, it's, I I told my daughter, I be rude if yeah. somebody's in your personal space be rude you don't have to be deferential to people you can say back the fuck off right i agree there is nothing wrong with that like and i and because i think the way we grew up and i'm not just talking about like religiously or whatever i think just like in our culture you know we're taught to be polite like, i agree i don't know how many times you know we force our children to go up and hug people go hug your uncle, go hug your uncle. And like, we're very, like, if your child doesn't want to do that, don't make them do it. No, I agree. Because it should, teaches them to be polite no matter what the circumstances are. No matter are, how they feel. Or their gut feelings are. Do you right. know what I mean? They tend to bypass what they're actually feeling and just to be polite and, right. or, or, you know, to get out of yen, to um, satisfy, I don't know, just, you know what I mean? I mean, we're raised to be polite. Even like her, like watching her in her testimony, she like she called it being collegial. She was being very polite. She's like, I don't know. You tell me what you want to do. Like it was just very like she was trying to be accommodating during a time where she's laying herself bare. You know what I mean? Like they they needed her to be there to give the testimony. She didn't have to be there. Right. She was just being so accommodating and it, it was kind of making me a little bit crazy and I felt... I guess it made me crazy because I saw myself in her. Right. I think every girl, and the statistic you said, one in ten, I think that's way, way Oh, low. no, no, it's way... It's... I think it's more like nine out of ten, to be real honest with you. I mean, you hear, if you actually get in a conversation with anybody, most I mean, women, a lot of them have had those situations happen. It's unfortunate. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a problem, but just nobody wants to speak about it. Nobody wants to air their stuff out there, and that's fine. They don't, you know, they don't have to. I mean, you want them to, you don't want them to be victimized and then victimized again because right. they spoke out because that's what's expected. They have to do what's in their own comfortable well, level. Well, and then in her mind, like, she was talking about how going over in her mind, well, he didn't rape me. You know what I mean? Like, she was belittling her own experience. Well, not only that, but think of it this way, and I don't, and again, I apologize if it comes off politically incorrect but if that situation that exact situation happened except she was a boy and two boys did that same thing right how would that change this narrative oh it changed a lot i mean look at what's going on with the catholic church right now nobody's 
coming forward and saying, well, what took them so long? You know right. what I mean? So, yeah. So I, I know I, we're tipsy I, tales. No, but... I'm kind of I, I'm kind of glad that you brought that up because it's it's been that kind of a week, and I literally I spent the morning watching that before I went to work, and then listened to it all the way to work, and yeah, it, was, it makes you sick to your stomach. I mean, politics aside, it just makes you sick to your stomach because I think it's about time that women are open and speak up and strong in a society where they're making superheroes um, that are women. I mean, they're making them the main characters well, rather than daughters. background. Yeah. On top of that, we have daughters, but we grew up in that era that she grew up in. And were I mean, just... I heard so many stories like of people that went to parties and they, they talked about trains on girls or whatever and and we just listened to those things and we're like you know because we didn't want to sound uncool we didn't say anything but i was cringing inside what i used to hear stuff like it makes you sick to your stomach yeah yeah even though it changed my opinion about those people like i never spoke up like i never said anything like that's gross. You you guys What's are disgusting. Wrong with you? What's wrong you know with what you? you? Guys like did? because I didn't want to be that that girl. Right. Get it. So. And I want my daughter to be that girl. And that's the same way. I'm the same way with Talia. And you tell them, and you you just give them the strength, give them the support, and hope to God that they're strong enough to be able to not be in a situation that they're gonna be victims in that circumstance. Exactly. But then even like I said, but she simply went to a get together and right. she didn't anticipate being a victim she drank one beer it can happen it happens like that it happens really quick and then then you're asking yourself did sometimes. that really happen well not only that but it could also happen by people you don't that people you've known forever and in my case like i said not to get too into it but it happened to be our neighbor my neighbor and my neighbor and his cousin and granted nothing happened past like i said it was very similar to her situation and circumstances including the laughing about it later right um uh, I mean, it it doesn't have to be strangers. No, so. and most often, it's more often than not, it's always somebody you know. Almost always somebody you know. So with that, we start our podcast. So. <laughs> I felt like we needed to be serious, though. I did. That. I did too. I agree. I just think it was a a conversation that needed to be had. Right, because we're raising daughters, yeah. and we're raising sons. We're raising sons, and we want to raise our sons not to be those guys and not to give them those excuses oh well you're a boy you're okay you You were just drunk yeah no there's no excuse because there's plenty of people that were just drunk there's plenty of people um that didn't do those type of things so i don't know how to transition (laughs) (laughs) how do we how do we anyways so back back to uh so what's your story Wow, it's not much better. Okay. <laughs> I might okay. need some more wine for this. Hold okay, up. Okay, let's, let's, let's pour let's, some let's, wine. Wow, I almost poured wine in my water. I'm glad it's Friday. It's like Jesus. <laughs> Make you water. Wine into water. water. I just poured wine in my water, and I'm like, it's fine. Yes, yes. So right, so right. Okay. So um, I'm hoping I'm not going to scramble this too bad. I know we again are very long-winded, so I apologize. Oh. <laughs> That's Okay. Okay, so my um, story today is going to be the psychopath from Alto Hospicio. And Alma Ooh. just told me how to say hospicio. hospicio. I've been trying to learn uh, Italian, totally off topic. But is that where this car? is? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my mind was already going to Italy. <laughs> I sit in my car and they're like, salute, ciao, hello, goodbye. And I'm just like, ciao. 
and then I just I continue to do the same thing over and over again because it's real early in the morning and my brain's not quite there yet. So I have to listen to it about <laughs> 17 times. So you I know, got two when words. When we make it to Italy. We will. It'll come in. It'll, we will. Very handy. Yes. I'll know how to say hello well, and goodbye. It, it's a romance <laughs> language. So a lot of it is like Spanish. Yes. It is very much, except uh, instead of noche, it's no que, no, noche, no, I don't know, whatever, no matter right now. So, anyways, <laughs> my story. The Psychopath of Alto Hospicio. Okay, so in November 24, 1999, Macarena Sanchez, 14-year-old girl um, in the eighth grade, walked out of her house to go to school. Um, unfortunately, in that um, area, the bus routes weren't exactly, they were irregular in town. So um, her being worried about late to school, um, she accepted a ride from a taxi driver. He, and so he, she got into his taxi. He was driving her and then detoured while she's in the car. So he ended up taking her to a remote place. And then she was, she was, her hands were tied, tied, were tied behind her back. She was raped and then thrown inside of a abandoned mine, which is about 720 feet deep. In the months that followed, 17-year-old Patricia Palma, 14-year-old Laura Zola uh, met that same fate. Where was this again? I know you said Hospicio, but like Peru. what? It's in Peru. Okay. So um, about a year before that, um, Gra- Graciela Saravia, 17 years old, was also picked up by a taxi on the waterfront of the Iquequique waterfront. Um, the taxi driver at that point in time had offered her um, offered her a ride. So she got in the taxi, and within that time, I guess a taxi driver offered her money for sex, and everything, I guess, was kind of going as planned, is what the, what the actual article said. Now, I don't know what according to plan was, but I guess everything went was going okay until she tried to rob him and infuriated um, the taxi driver, hit her in the head till she was dead, and then at the same time just left her body in an abandoned beach. And this is about a year before well, Macarena Sanchez, sorry, um, was kidnapped. So looks like he got a taste kind of about a year beforehand before he started, before he kidnapped this young girl. So in February of 2000, so the about four months later, he attacked twice within a week. Uh, Sara Gomez and Angelica Ley both of whom were killed and then buried in a clandestine garbage dump. As oh months passed, as months passed, Catherine Arce also met her demise in the same way. So he wasn't even a real taxi driver. He actually was a fake taxi what? driver that was picking up these girls and offering them rides, um, or yeah, a couple coins here and there, and then detouring it. So it kind of reminds me. The reason why this, I shouldn't say spoke to me, but the reason why I. I looked at this because it did remind me of that movie the bone collector right that first opening scene where the people get into the taxi and they try to get out and they can't so so on june 2nd he attacked again he raped and murdered by by killing these two girls by a blow to the head 15 year old macarena montesillos and viviana garay they were they were disposed of and buried alongside of of lay and rc in the same garbage dump However, with Viviana Garay um, generated a total, a total unexpected reaction, the father of the girl, Orlando Garay, mobilized the other affected families that were actually um, having those girls kidnapped. He actually got them together and started making noise um, that these girls were not just runaways and you know they weren't leaving. 
Um, only did only at that time did it actually become news and the crime stopped briefly. So during that time, I guess around that time, there was a, a lot of young people were actually leaving this area. The authorities said that they, they were so poor there that they were actually going looking for work, um, just leaving to other cities. But I think the next, they were migrating to Tacna or Bolivia. So as the parents of these girls are reporting the disappearances, um, the police weren't helping. They weren't, there was no clues. They, they again, they weren't real helpful because of this mass um, exodus of a lot of these young people out of that area. They, um, police thought that they had um, a bad, oh, you have a bad relationship with your parents. They left, um, you know, just whatever whatever reasons they were giving you, they just weren't helping. They thought it was typical things at home, right? They thought they ran away, away or something. Pretty much, yeah. So the parents had always denied any problems in the home. They always denied any sort of issues, big fights, any reason why these young girls would actually leave. That was the first hypothesis when these people started leaving. Um, the other hypothesis is that they were actually being um, kidnapped and, and being enslaved in other countries, uh, other surrounding countries. They also mentioned the possibility of a sex ring that were abducting underage young girls. Um, that led to led some of the Chilean police and some of the girls' family to in- get, investigate brothels that were around there. They, they looked for any sort of trace, any sort of proof, any findings of any of the, a lot of these young girls that were missing, and there was never any sort of indication that they were there because they weren't. Was this like a like the kind of garbage garbage dump that we have? Like stuff is being dumped up on, on top of it. So yeah, it's like they're it, basically it's pretty much a make fish. It make fish. <laughs> it's a makeshift dump. That's where everybody just kind of threw their dumps. Okay, uh, threw their dumps, threw their trash out. So let's see here. The time was still pressing, and in view of the police investigation's lack of success, a direct inve- intervention was solicited by the president Ricardo Largos. He could speed up inquiries. So he actually assigned a special police commission to exclusively take charge of the search for the missing girls. Although the authorities actually refused to call this, um, that, that felt the need for a special um, police force in order to investigate these because they felt it was more of a social problem rather than than anything else. Orlando Garan, which I mentioned earlier, um, father of one of the victims, began to fight for the truth and did not accept the authorities' speculations selling his fisherman boat to gather the families of other disappeared girls to find answers. On July 18, 2000, a bag of clothes belonging to Viviana were found in the rubbish dump where, according to her family and friends, she never went to. Wow. The same day in another landfill, the neighbors found Catherine Arce's backpack and uniform. On July 20th, Ines Valdiva, mother of Patricia Palma, distinguished her daughter's underwear in a ravine and this is how family members friends and neighbors began to look for these young women yeah so it may be surprising that after all the coincidences they didn't think it would be a serial homicide case or at least some sort of premeditated kidnappings all the missing teenagers were between 14 and 17 years old and all the girls went to the same school all of them had long dark hair and they all disappeared in a period of seven months at least those signs seem to point out to someone that was picking up picking their victims depending on their concrete characteristics. In September 2001, one year and nine months after the first disappearance, one of the reports noted saying that the dip- disappearance could be linked to an assassination case. It was noted that a criminal event is possibly related to the psychopath modus operandi, which acquires more vigorous and 
Vigorous as the underage girls are not yet found and we have not received signs of any of them. It must be considered the participation of one or more persons and the disappearance may belong to a series of assassinations. So pretty much same serial killer. So it's about two weeks later the report was confirmed. On Thursday, October 9th, Barbara Nunez Barrios, 13 years old, went to the Alto Hospicios substation with the symptoms of, have, of having been brutally hit. She reported to the police that a man in a white car had picked her up from her home to be, drove, to be driven to school. But in the middle of the road, he turned he detoured and drove her up to the outskirts of town, threatening her with a knife. He then raped her. After he hit her, he thought she was dead, and later she was threw into a 160-foot mine shaft. Oh, my God. She laid there unconscious for about five hours until she made her way out and reached the town by her own resources. <gasps> so with the description the girl provided of her aggressor, Julio Perez Silvia, 38 years old, was identified. So a little background on him, which I really hate doing because he's a, you know, shitbag. Um, they said he was a, he was um, physically abused. His father was a drunk, used to beat up his mom. He felt like he couldn't protect her. So um, as he got older, he wasn't the biggest of kids. So he didn't, he still couldn't really help his mom um, when his dad would pretty much come out and beat the shit out of her. He was the owner of a white Toyota that had been identified by this young girl. He didn't have any sort of records behind him. Um, when he was arrested, his neighbor's fiercely defended him saying that they've never observed any sort of strange behavior others said that they knew about his flasher actions because he had a history they oh. most most of them do of course he was a flasher yeah oh my god but of course never charged you... because again with our first topic it's okay it, it, it's it's fine right it's, it's fine. okay to be a flasher right you know there's nothing wrong he with didn't do nothing freaking opening up your jacket and sh- showing your fucking junk junk to everybody because you know he didn't do anything wrong boys will be boys right (laughs) we were just talking about this and then there's also uh, a history that there may he may have may have possibly have raped two other students some years ago in his native town wow and people knew this maybe it was a maybe because again the same thing as we're talking about earlier no but it comes out neighbors were defending him because he was a stand-up citizen yep but in the meantime he had a a record behind him about being a flasher and possibly raping two students several years okay so he was already a world-class piece of shit yeah okay so in this yeah so as he was arrested um he i guess the the police were the police were fucked up, which made me kind of laugh because he deserved it. I shouldn't be that way, but whatever. So they decided to break his resistance with a, te- a technique of sleep systematic interruptions, waking him up every 30 minutes. That way he would reach his point of stress and talk. The next day after the um, incidents and after, well, I'm sorry. So they the, tortured him? Pretty much. After the after they continued to hard, quote, quote, questioning him he actually just confessed and he started talking about he literally confessed started showing him where all the bodies were um i guess there's a lot of old abandoned mine shafts around that area and mm-hmm. so he, a lot of these victims he was actually throwing them in there and they never would have found them had he not actually confessed to um doing this so he just threw them in there didn't like bother like burying them or anything he was just nope. well there, they were i mean think about it he had this the last shaft? girl that survived it was 165 foot abandoned shaft so who who would ever think to look in there right they said that one of the strongest traits about him that was captured 
that captured the policeman's attention is, ex is his extreme cold coldness in his recounts or his confessions about the murder of the girls. So the slender one is over there, where he was actually identifying them, um, and the other girls in the mine shaft is how he identified it, but very cold, without any sort of remorse at all. They said he never cried, um, nor he mentioned anything about having any sort of regrets. He said he never said he was sorry, and then when police asked him, asked him why he did it, um, he said he didn't know if um, they didn't know. And they said that nobody actually suspected him because he broke all parameters of a regular criminal prototype. Criminal. Say criminal, what I say? Criminal. Criminal. <laughs> the crispy. Wine. Crispy. <laughs> what was I saying? Purpose was crispy. Purpose crispy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. So this is not a subject to laugh at. But no, it's not. I apologize. But we can laugh it, at ourselves. Yes, I can't speak, and I'd <laughs> like to say it's the alcohol, but it's ever. So um, they didn't expect. They didn't expect him. They didn't suspect him because he actually broke the mold for a lot of the parameters of the criminal prototype. A total of seven bodies that turned out to be the missing girls. Besides the corpse of Angela Leigh Alcaya, a 24-year-old mother that was missing from her home since February 24, 2000, were found. In accordance with the first expert report and his own confessions, Perez Silva methodically chose his victims based on a sort of repetitive pattern. They had to be skinny, brunette, and most of them had long hair. He watched them for days before the decision to take them and act on it. His trap was to offer them a ride home, school in his fake taxi for a couple, you know, a few coins. When the girls entered his vehicle, he threatened them with a knife and then drove them to the surroundings of Alto Hospicio. Before raping the girls, he beat them. Then once their feet and hands were tied up, he repeatedly knocked them in the head until they were dead. Finally, he covered them with bags and threw them into clandestine rubbish dumps or abandoned man mine shafts. Almost all the girls showed the application of brutal violence or to cause them death. In fact, many bodies exhibited its skull damage, as well as rib fractures. Um, he was incriminated for 14 first-degree murders, two violations, and a frustrated attempt of assassination. I don't know what that What the fuck does that, that mean? God, he was frustrated? <laughs> he I think he I might have copied and pasted it wrong. Somebody? I, I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. Please tell me that's not some actual I'm like, pretty sure I copied and pasted it. But let's just say terminology. He, he, was in, yeah, he was indicted 14 murders. Um, his voice was recognized by Maritza Diaz and the DNA test was conclusive. Maritza, 16 years old in April 2001, had been raped by Julio Perez but had escaped. She didn't get to see his face, but the biological tests taken after the violations were saved and registered. The DNA matched with Barbara Nunez's sample. So in February 2004, he was found guilty and sentenced to 40 years in prison. That we, that that's he, 40? Right? He, he killed 14 girls, but that's okay. 40's fine. 40? I guess. What does that even equal out to? 40? Why? <laughs> but that's like, what, five years a, a person? No, that's 75, huh? Damn. That's <laughs> fucked up. That's real fucked up. That's not even right. That's bullshit. I agree. Absolute bullshit. He should get like life in prison. He no should possibility be executed of and thrown down a mine shaft. Yeah. I think a, he should be castrated. Eye. Yeah, that too. How many how many women was it total? I'm sorry if 14. you already said that. 14. It was 14. 
So that um, they know of. That we yeah. Because they actually, in, in this article that I was reading, it actually said that they suspect him of a couple of other ones, but that he just won't confess to them, so. Um, in nine, oh, wow, in 19, 2005, <laughs> what kind of shit is that? In January 19, 2005, um, Julio Perez Silva almost died. Aww. Um, he hung himself with a shoelace coiled to his neck and used a toothbrush to tighten the knot. Police- he wasn't putting enough ganas into it. A shoelace? Right. I'm just like, you didn't try hard enough. Is that what you you're saying? Try, yeah, no. I, try harder. Policeman reactions saved him after noticing. Oh my God. What had happened 15 minutes later. 15 minutes later. 15 minutes later. When they, he was they were like, hold on. They looked at their watch. <laughs> they were like, how purple is he? Oh, darn, the shoelace broke. Damn. I guess we should go in there. From that day on, he, he was actually hospitalized for um, cerebral hypoxia, so lack of air. From that day on, his therapies were intensified and his security increased. He even has cameras at his cell to prevent a second suicide. So I guess they want him to be there for the full 40 years. So now in January 12, 2011, he was transferred to jail Colina, located in Santiago, where he is currently serving his sentence. So far, the names of five other disappeared young adult women emerged in that same area. Um, however, he claims to know nothing about them. So that is the story of the psychopath of Alto Hospicio. I mean, considering the subject we were just having Talking beforehand. About- well, and women just being deferential, like being polite, like... You know what? Not a, and you you gotta realize. I mean, aside from that being said, and you're absolutely right on that. It's also something that you get into Ubers nowadays. You get into taxis right. nowadays. Like nothing. And you don't think anything of it, but in reality, you don't know the driver of that car. So I mean, that's why it kind. Of, when I read this, it kind of freaked me out because I remember watching that movie that I had mentioned that they were in this taxi and they're like, "Wait, you're not going the right way." And when they go to unlock the door, it would have been sharpened to like little knives. Right. That freaks me out because there's absolutely nothing you can do at that to get at that moment in time. Try to break a window, but from Even, inside a car, it's almost. It's nearly hard. impossible. I mean, you yeah. could, and not only, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I can't even imagine how panic stricken, the torture in itself, driving away, knowing that this is not good, you know, that, that anxiety of, of, of being in that car and not knowing what's going to happen. Right. I can't even imagine. Yeah. That, Those poor girls. Luckily, there was a dad that was outspoken enough that he was like out there. Well, not only that, but not the, letting it go. No. And not only that, but, uh, so many times, a lot of, so many times in these situations, more, probably not so much now because there's so much more awareness, but especially back, whether in the 80s or in some other um, areas, it's expected that people ran away first. That's always their first conclusion compared right. to actually thinking it's a, it's an actual right. problem or they're, they're in danger or to but, actually investigate where they're at. But do you think the fact that they were schoolgirls? Most of them were all schoolgirls. Right. I mean, in a lot of cases, it's runaways, prostitutes, and people just disregard it. That's what, yeah. And, and it takes longer. I agree. I mean, because I guess young teenagers expect to be rebellious or expected to want to buck the being underneath their parents' thumb, um, being having parents that are overprotective or so on and so forth. So I think they feel that that's just more teenage behavior compared to what it really was in this circumstance. So that's it. 
Okay, so like my I have a a personal story, and okay. it's not like super serious. It was like a group of friends and I. We ditched school one day, and we went to what was that mall on Fifty First Avenue in Indian School? Oh, Maryville. Maryville Mall. We went to Central High School okay. at the time, so we're way out of our way. We spent the day there. We didn't have any money to get home, and these guys offered us a ride. So we're in the back of the car. So how many of there? How many of you were they? There was. Wow. How many of you guys were they? There was three of us. Okay. And there was two of them. So we get it. It was like a hatchback. We get in the car. They stop off at a gas station. I can't even believe I'm talking about this right now. We stop off at a gas station. They pull up the hatchback, and there's guns in the back. Oh shit. So what do we do? We don't get out of the car. They fill up and we start driving. And we're kind of like freaked out at this point. Okay. But they seem like nice guys, right? Okay. We're like, hey, where are you guys going? This is the wrong way. And they're like, we're just going to keep driving until the gas runs out. (gasps) No, no, no. Luckily, they turned out to be nice guys. Did they really? Oh my God. (laughs) They kidnapped you. You know that, right? Why? We got in the car. It we were matter. asking for a ride. They were taking you somewhere where you didn't agree to. You were kidnapped. Right. So they took us home. They ended up, ta- ended up taking us home. But the point is that we were dumb as shit <laughs> at yeah. that age. Yeah. Where we got in the car with these guys and they weren't that much older than us, but they were just a tiny bit older than us. We just wanted to get home before our curfews. Yeah, it's amazing. I think a lot of these things tend to happen. Like the first victim that I had mentioned that she was afraid about being, she was afraid to be late to school. She took a ride from somebody that she, you you think you could trust as a taxi driver, right? But in reality, that was the worst decision she unfortunately had made. Um, Yes, when we're that young, I think we take a lot of things for granted. I think that we also um, have trust in the wrong things or we're nervous about any sort of authoritative figure being upset with us or being mad at us that we tend to take those risks and I think that's why teenage girls tend to be the majority of the victims well I think at that age you're not trusting your instincts or your feelings as much because you're not being taught to trust your instincts when you feel a certain type of way about hugging a certain uncle or whatever like you've already had a weird feeling about it and your parents are like be polite Go and hung your uncle, whatever, right. and you don't want to. And you kind of give them that look, and they make you do it. Any you're you are taught to go against those instincts that you have, those innate instincts that you have, and so you stop trusting them. You're like, okay, well, maybe you feel unsure of yourself, right? Because you don't you don't know how to trust those. At this age, we trust our instincts a lot because we've learned more often than not those instincts turn out to be right. Yeah. But at that age, you're still learning. Definitely. And I I, I agree. I I mean, for the most part, and not that I was smart by any means when I was younger, but when I did have those gut feelings, I, for the most part, because I'm a big, I'm a big chicken anyways. Right. (laughs) So when I usually have those instincts, I'm usually like fight or flight and it's more flighting than fighting. So... (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we got real serious on this one, didn't we? I know, we did. I know. I think it's just been that kind of week because of the subject that's been going around the news. And I don't know. Like I said, I'm a glutton for punishment. And I'm reading all these comments in the comment sections on Facebook. And you see all these 
it's not just men it's women yeah uh, like i said the person i was talking to earlier and i don't think she meant any um ill intent by any means but i also feel like she felt that same her era was that same boys will be boys right and it's it's not okay and unfortunately with that mentality boys continue to repeat that same cycle rather than actually learning from that knowing that's just not acceptable it's not at all so okay so what's your story Alma? another drink here <laughs> all right you think i need another <laughs> bottle a whole other bottle and it's friday so we can do that today yes all right N- not like we have anything to do tomorrow <laughs> so my story this week is going to be on the penitentiary of new mexico okay uh known as old maine so there's the paranormal but there's also a whole bunch more than that that goes to this story um basically it was a mass maximum security prison south of santa fe new mexico it was built in 1956 after several riots at the original prison um that was 11 miles north of it which had several riots at that prison so they decided Let's start over again. Okay. After its construction, the original penitentiary of New Mexico was demolished. Um, That original penitentiary was built in 1853. Okay. Okay, so the new prison was built along State Road 14 and was known as the Main Unit, um, or Old Main. And in 1980, it became the scene of one of the most violent and deadly riots in the correctional history of the United States. Wow. The history? Of yes. the United States? Yes. Um, prior to February 2nd, 1980, there had been a number of notable disturbances at the prison. One incident, which occurred in 1976, after an organized work strike that was due to the prison conditions. At that time, Deputy Warden Montoya's response was to use tear gas and make the inmates run the length of the prison from the dormitories in the south end to the isolation cells and the segregation cells in the north end. Okay. As they ran along these this main hallway, corrections officers hit them with batons and some hit them with axe handles. You know, girl, and I'm not, in all honesty, I'm, I'm not anti-police. I mean, I, by any means. I mean, I'm in trouble with first piece and I'm calling. You got to respect them um, because they put their life in danger every day on the line right um but from somebody that i'm very close to they do some shit in there that they really shouldn't be doing even now right so i just don't think it's okay for you to mistreat anybody including prisoners yes well i don't know maybe this this alto palisco guy or well, him, <laughs> yes. guy. maybe him it's okay maybe to him. it's okay That's to beat okay. him up well okay all right sorry i didn't mean to interview that way so that incident was known as the night of the axe handles. Shit. So it had a name. It was that brutal that it, it earned a name. So after this incident, one of the in- inmates, Dwight Duran, he drafted a 99-page handwritten civil rights complaint to the U.S. District Court of New Mexico. Okay. Um, it came to be known as the Duran Consent Decree. Decree. There was ample evidence from over 10 grand jury investigations about the conditions of the penitentiary, but the PNM administration resisted the changes and the legislature refused to allocate the necessary funds to make changes. There was ample evidence from over 10 grand jury investigations about the conditions of the penitentiary, but the PNM administration resisted the changes 
and the legislature refused to allocate the necessary funds to make the changes. And see, and that's a scary thing because um, people with authority like that, they don't have to follow any sort of rules. And if they're, if you're saying right now that they didn't want to make those changes, then they pretty, and they, there's no funds to actually have those changes made or somebody to actually look at and make sure those changes are made, then they just continue to do what they want. Well, you think when they're like creating the budget every year for, and even all the way back to back then in the 1970s, you know, there's oh, so many things that they're trying to divide up. And the last thing on the list is the comfort of inmates in a prison. You know what I mean? It's no, not a popular issue. I know, especially because the people that usually control the money are, are the ones saying, you don't need to spend it there. Right. And the people too, like if you're in a very conservative area, they're, the last thing they're going to want, who cares about inmates? Follow the law. You know, in, in reality though, a lot of these things isn't so much about follow the law. It's that some of these people just never have been caught. Right. As I was saying, the last time the U.S. District Court grand jury ordered improvements was in November of 1979, two months before the riot. The cause of the 1980 riot was well documented and predictable based on the assessment of prison conditions. And so, like, I was listening to, um, I actually listened to a documentary and they were just talking about the, the poor conditions of the prison up until then. Wow. And it was just a nightmare. Oh, I bet. I can't even imagine, especially in the 70s when, I mean, people don't really care now, but they really didn't give two fucks back then. Right. And then, and then the people that were in charge, they were like a clique. They were all they were from a the gang. Thing. I yeah. mean, honestly, they were yeah. a gang. Well, and yeah, it was a they power ran structure. it the way they wanted to run it. Right. And nobody to hold them into any sort of account. Exactly. At all. No and they answered to each other and that was it. Um, some of the conditions that uh, led up to it, overcrowding, inferior prison services. On the night of the riot, there was 1,156 1, prisoners and only 963 beds. Oh, Jesus. Um, First-time offend- non-offenders were not separated from repeat violent prisoners. Okay, and that's scary as hell, girl. Can you imagine that? I mean, you got caught for tax fraud and you're now put in with a serial rapist right and apparently rape is one of the things that was like very very prevalent um and i just don't get that honestly i i seriously they talk about prison but this one was this prison rape of inmates was very prevalent unsanitary dormitories poor quality food that had cockroaches mouse droppings this was prevalent Intestinal diseases were common. I due bet. To the food. I can't even imagine. <laughs> Cancellation of educational, recreational, and other rehabilitative programs. I mean, you got these guys. It's like a powder keg of people that are like, you don't want them to be bored. That's the last no, thing you want. of course not. You want and- to keep them busy. So um, a subsequent investigation by the state attorney general's office found that prison officials began coercing prisoners to become informants in a strategy that was known as the snitch game. Oh, no. That don't sound good at all. Nope. So it was like it's basically pitting inmate against inmate in a very, very bad way. And they were targeting like young inmates or new inmates that just barely came in. And so this was the guards. So the hierarchy was targeting these young inmates or these uh, very new inmates and basically like torturing them 
or like putting them in a, a position where they were being looked at by the other inmates and they're like, oh, you want protection? Yeah. I can give you protection. And they were trading this protection for snitching on other inmates, which set up a very, very bad house of cards. Oh, I can I can't even imagine. I'm here at the edge of my seat waiting to what you're going to say next. Um, The report said that retribution for snitching led to an increased incidence of inmate on inmate violence at the prison in the late 1970s. On February 2nd, 1980, on Saturday morning at 1.40 a.m., two prisoners in Southside Dormitory E2 overpowered the officer before he closed the door. On cue, the four officers in E2 were taken hostage. At this point, the riot might have been contained if the grill to the south south wing had been closed and locked. Okay, I just want to like make a point. Prior to this, there had already been rumors, and the prison administration the rumors that there was going to be a riot that there was going to be a riot that they were already planning to do some something, and the prison administration did nothing. They probably like just blew it off like. Okay. We, we've got this. Yeah. It's under control. So I just want to preface it with that. All right. So at this point, the riot might have been contained if the grill to the south wing had been closed and locked. Two officers are eating their breakfast in the officer's mess hall. Officers Larry Mendoza and Antonio Vigil heard men's voices in the main corridor. A prisoner in an officer's uniform was standing by the open grill, apparently guarding it. Approaching the grill was a hallway filled with prisoners the officer realized the urgency of the grill being open this meant the path lay wide open for inmates to attack the control center holy shit they both run 50 feet to the control center and warn the officer what is coming the north grill beside the control center had also routinely been left open most nights so they knew they knew that this was a possibility already. They, I mean, they what? I mean, they you, took, you take this. away their their activities, um, you put them in these awful situations. It's, of course, what else are they gonna do except dream to get out? And they have all the time in the world to study every routine. What time you get here? What time you leave? When the doors are opened? Like I wow. said, it was a powder keg, just holy waiting sh- for a match. All right, the two officers took refuge in the north wing of the prison. The control center closed and locked the north grill behind them. They would have been safe if the control center had not fallen into the hands of the prisoners in the next few minutes. Oh, this that's... basically, we're, these were the events that set off 72 hours of horror. Shit, and nothing for nothing, but I mean, the, the actual officers that were doing their job and are not in this whole gang mentality with the other ones, they're in there too. Right. They're... They have families to go home to. They, they're they just there to do their job and, and get home safe. And uh, I don't know. It sounded like they were all they were all on the same page. Really? Okay. It kind of like from the documentary that I listened to. And honestly, the first time I ever heard about this story was I was watching an episode of The Dead Files. Okay. And it's actually mentioned in my, my story. here. But that was the first time I heard the story. And it kind of led me down this rabbit hole of like trying to figure out what happened and blah, blah, blah. So I read a few things a long time ago. And um, this this has been one of the stories that I wanted to cover. Okay. Anyways, the control center closed and locked the North Girl behind them. They would have been safe if the control center had not fallen into the hands of the prisoners in the next few minutes. 
All right, so this next half came, I got a lot of this information off of, the prior information I got that off of Wikipedia. This information I got off of Southwest Ghost Hunters Association. Okay. Um, I was looking everywhere for the paranormal side of it. All right. And I just kept running into like the actual historical stuff that happened, but it was hard to find anything. And it's hard to kind of, because it seems like every single article has probably a, a tidbit more of information in regards to that same thing. So you go down that rabbit hole of like, <gasps> right. So, and they actually gave a timeline, timeline of events. So I, I, I might kind of be going over this again at two fifteen. To 2.30 a.m., inmates already drunk on homemade hooch break into the infirmary, sacking the pharmacy where a variety of drugs were available to all comers in massive quantities, according to the official report. So during this riot, there was overdoses because they were just going batshit, crazy, taking drugs, some of these people. I can imagine. I mean, if if you're not... You're the you're already weakest a person that doesn't, yeah. Then you're going to be tormented your... not only by the your fellow prisoner, but the people in charge as well. I I probably go that route. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> well, and if you already have a drug problem, problem, and apparently drugs were a Prevalent. big problem already before that. Um, they took everything, said Gary Nelson, who was housed in E2 at the time of the riot. I remember I couldn't take a piss because so many people were in the bathroom shooting up drugs. Wow. At 7 a.m., using acetylene torches left by construction workers, rampaging inmates, shouting, kill the snitches, cut through the cell Shit. block four, um, which was the protective custody unit. According to the attorney general's report, the execution squads called out the names of their intended victims as they awaited their fate. Shit. That's, oh my God, that's awful. Yeah. Men were killed with piping, work tools, crude homemade knives called shanks one man was partially decapitated after being thrown over the second tier balcony with a noose around his neck holy shit so they went for whoever their enemy was whoever the snitches were they just went straight for these guys oh my god that is awful okay so the corpse was then dragged down and hacked up a fire had been set in the gymnasium to burn a pile of corpses but it had gotten out of control and burned through the roof oh my god yeah. That is, oh my God, holy shit. It, it was a nightmare. Everything was a nightmare. Um, besides the fire that had been set in the, despi the despised psychology wing, a fire was set in the Protestant chapel. The Protestant chaplain had been nicknamed Axe Handle for his participation in the night of the Axe Handles four years earlier. The Catholic chapel next door was left untouched. Wow. Situated across the hall from the main control center, the prison library also was only touched by smoke. A third unfortunate fire had been set in the records office. Perhaps the prisoners thought they were burning their own records after they found the file naming the snitches. However, they also burned the records that could have been used as evidence related to their civil rights claims in the Duran consent decree. Oh, shit. Some impatient killers threw flammable liquids into locked cells and ignited them. The report said that when cells were open, some bars cut meticulously with the torches. Victims were stabbed, tortured, bludgeoned, burned, hanged, and hacked apart. Fuck. It was mass hysteria, said one of the survivors of Saw Block 4, reliving that morning in historical in a historical tour video produced by the NMCD. There were people begging for their lives. There was a guy I will never forget. He was singing a song while the inmates cut through the bars take it to the limit by the eagles 
Oh my God, no, Alma. Yes. He kept singing the song right up until they killed him. Wow. By 1.30 p.m. Sunday, the violence had spent itself. According to the official report and New Mexico police and the National Guard retook the prison without resistance. By morning Sunday, most of the inmates had went outside and surrendered, said Gary Nelson. Many of them were not innocent. They had done some terrible shit. All told, 12 officers were held hostage. Some of them stabbed, beaten, and sodomized. I bet you some of those people who were not initially violent criminals, due to that whole mob mentality, mm-hmm. go along. That's what it comes down to. It's the whole mob mentality. It's like, go along to get along. And on both sides. Definitely. Um, this is weird shit, said a tour member, pointing to a scar on the floor from where the outline of a body had been charred into the floor. Nodding, Torres responded, yep, and people like weird stuff. When I watched that episode of The Dead Files, okay. they actually showed, um, they filmed footage of that burned area. Okay. You could see the outline of where a person was. Oh my God, how awful. Supposedly, no matter what they do to that area, that image always comes back. So take that as you will. By mid-afternoon Sunday, 36 hours after the riot had begun, heavily armed state police officers accompanied by officers from the Santa Fe Police Department entered the charred remains of the prison. At the end of it all, 33 inmates died and more than 200 were treated for injuries. None of the 12 officers taken hostage were killed, but seven suffered serious injuries caused by beatings and the rapes. Holy shit. National Guardsmen commented on how... Okay, so... I wrote this because in the documentary that I watched, um, there was a National Guardsman that um, basically commented on how he had been through Vietnam and seen the atrocities in Vietnam, and okay. he had never seen anything so horrific, so horrific Ugh. as what they the scene that they came upon, and it was worse than what he had seen and the bruta- all of the brutality he had seen in Vietnam, and he also described it as pure rage. What happened there was just pure rage. So even though I know it's not the same, it kind of reminds me of the um, L.A. riots a little bit, simply because people could only take so much before, like you said, they they lose it. Right. Absolutely. Like and like you mentioned before, the mob mentality, like they, they got lost in the moment, like something takes over. Right. You can imagine with all that rage, it probably left an indelible imprint on that prison imagine especially with that many people killed and horrifically and horrifically killed not even just killed right and then i think i I remember hearing like in that episode of the dead files they were talking about like even before all this there was already like paranormal stuff going on in the prison and it was part of their training what do you mean part of deal with anything paranormal that was already going on in the prison okay so i thought that was weird that is strange yeah so before all of this happened, stuff was going on. Okay. And this happened. Are you um, going to freak me out a little bit? Probably. <laughs> Get ready. It's not hard. Buckle up. Buckle up, buttercup. Buckle up. All right. Scott Patterson's celebrity ghost story after landing the role of an army captain in charge of the prison in the movie The Boys of Abu Ghraib. Oh, before I even go there. Okay. I forgot to mention that um, The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler was filmed at this prison Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That, that's just a little tidbit there. Okay. Okay. So on, like I was saying, on Scott 
Patterson's celebrity ghost story. After landing the role of an army captain in charge of the prison in the movie, The Boys of Abu Ghraib, actor Scott Patterson of The Gilmore Girls, reached Albuquerque around midnight, arriving on a late-night flight. Um, a producer on the new film greeted him at the airport. Instead of heading for his hotel, Patterson accepted the producer's offer to take him for a late-night visit to the site, selected for filming the interior prison scenes. So, uh, is that is that still being used as a prison? No. Okay. After that, it was... It After- was- they had to house them somewhere else. Okay, so they shut down it the was prison destroyed. after this after yes. this riot. Then okay, it, it was pretty much destroyed and and just unusable at this point. That that portion of the of, okay. of the prison. Right. Okay. So the abandoned former maximum security New Mexico State Penitentiary, located just outside of Santa Fe, also at the, his producer's suggestion, Patterson decided to visit death row. He intended to sit in the chair inside the gas chamber itself for Why? the experience. Fuck that one. What experience like that? That's a boy thing because um, I don't know things. Yeah, no. I'm good. In an abandoned prison, you're the only couple of people there. No. At no, night. No, no. Fuck that. No. I am not the one. Mm-mm. As the two men made their way underground three levels toward the gas chamber. Three mm. levels underground? Ugh. Oh, yeah. God, no. You couldn't even get me one level off the ground. Off the ground. <laughs> wow. Below the ground. <laughs> Yes. It's okay. In a minute, you'll be one level off the ground. <laughs> I think just, I'm already one level off the ground. <laughs> All right, hold on. I need to drink some more wine. What's your whistle? Oh, that sounds wretchedly awful. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, he intended to sit inside the chair in the gas chamber. That is insane. As a two, okay. Patterson noted a. Sp- okay, as the two men made their way underground, three levels toward the gas chamber, Patterson noted a spot on the floor where the concrete had been marred by what appeared to be a hacking marks. Oh yeah, I didn't even get to mention Holy that. Holy shit! Yeah, because they used anything and everything, and right. axes were one of them. So the brutality was so intense, intense that they left marks of these axes God. like very deep into the ground from where they had. Holy shit. Hacked people. That's no good. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. So further along the way, he saw black and, a blackened spot on the floor that he didn't understand. Uneasily noting it took the vague shape of a human, and that's the one I mentioned before. Oh, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. When they reached the viewing room for the gas chamber, two men found a lit, small candle standing upright in a chair. Okay, in an weird. abandoned in an abandoned prison? Yeah. Oh my god, no thank you. Run. Run the fuck out of there. That fuck no, what's I don't understand. Yeah, I would have been gone. In real <laughs> life. This is real life in real time. I know. No. No, 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 no. Stop. Please. At night I just took a long flight. No. Going I'm... to an abandoned prison and find a random candle lit? No. I'm like, that's a sign. Omen. Get the fuck out. Bye. <laughs> All right. By Patterson's account, the producer looked terrified and claimed to have no knowledge of how the candle got there. My training is such that I don't back away from such experiences, so he insisted on continuing on until he actually sat in the gas chamber chair. What is wrong with this actor? Well, obviously he's a method actor. (laughs) He's really trying to get in the moment. Wow. Patterson described what happened next as he looked at his producer Standing in the entrance to the gas chamber, and I looked at him. I noticed that he was fixated on the viewing area behind me, and I turned around. In the viewing area, we saw black shapes 
sitting in chairs we ran so fast oh my god alma that fucking totally freaks me out as the two men ran from death row patterson claimed that they encountered a winged demonic specter in a stairwell that literally flew at them the two men cowered in fright screaming like little children patterson exclaimed and we felt it whoosh over us actually felt the wind Oh my god, that is awful. Oh my god, that freaks me out. Okay. I think my anxiety level just went up super high. <laughs> Pour some more wine. Wine, please. Pour some more wine. One of these days, I'm going to tell a story and you're probably just going to bolt. Or pass out. One of the two. One of the two. <laughs> You'll keep on talking. <laughs> I'll just be like, on with the show. You're like, she fell, it's fine, she's oops, fine, oops, she's oops, just oops. drunk. <laughs> <laughs> fine 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 the show must go on <laughs> okay, exactly. all right i'm like oh mom dying though you're like wait shh. hold on let me take a picture there's an echo what happened there i don't know pass please somewhere along the line somewhere somewhere, somewhere over the rainbow sorry it's just what I, you said somewhere i just couldn't help myself <laughs> all right somewhere along the line as they fled in terror patterson dropped his cell his cell phone the following morning a sound technician a local hire found the phone on death row and returned it the technician said wait a minute you went down into death the death chamber at night no 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 don't you know the history of this prison god that's the end of that story Oh, I thought you were going to say he had like video or something on his phone. I was like, oh my God. Other accounts from film crews and ex-warden reported the dark figure threw down a cigarette and disappeared. He said he found the cigarette butt smoldering on the ground near where the apparition had disappeared. A member of one film crew reported seeing the dark garb figure. And while he was alone in the prison, the figure went into the bathroom when the crew member followed, the bathroom was empty. Why? Wait, wait. Why would he follow? I don't get people. I don't either. You know that gut feeling you feel like you should leave? Yeah. The, you should leave. You know when you accidentally get locked in a dark room and you just want to get the oh, fuck out oh of there? Oh, no, Alma. I can't even get, I can't even get caught in a restaurant <laughs> with one of those little pocket doors. Freeze the fuck out. <laughs> I remember one time I went to go through the garbage as a kid. And the streetlight was out and it was like super dark outside. So I threw the garbage and I stood there for a minute too long. And I just got that creepy, eerie feeling. And I just remember just fucking jetting it back to the house. I was like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) something's going to kill me in the dark. The areas of the prison where the most unusual phenomena is reported are cell blocks three, four, the tool room and the laundry room. Cell Block 3 was the maximum security ward, which also contains the solitary confinement cell. Ugh. A solitary confinement. Ugh. Activity reported here includes unexplainable noises, a burning flesh or death smell, doors that open and close by themselves, and lights that turn on and off without any apparent cause. You know, and it's just hearing you talk about this, I can't imagine something with that much energy behind it the torture the misery that somebody must have felt the agonizing the pain how that wouldn't leave his imprint right. one way or, or the other and as i'm listening to you i'm like totally freaked out by the way but at the same time i'm like well what other option was there it's almost it, it it's it's just almost something that you knew would happen because i mean 
that's a lot of suffering. I, I just feel like that's something, of course, that has to be left gonna behind. Be there. Yeah. There's going to be some sort of haunting spirit or, I don't know. That's just too, that's a lot of energy. Yeah. A lot of negative energy. Exactly. That I don't want nothing to do with. Right. Ever. Ever, never, never. never. Cell block four was the area where the snitches and other prisoners held in. Protective custody were contained. Upon entering the cell block, there are marks on the floor where rioters used power tools. Okay, we kind of went over that. Oh, no, 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 no. That's a lot. Yeah. Power tools to decapitate the snitches and several other inmates. Oh, how awful. Also visible are the outlines of the scorch. The scorch marks where other inmates were burned to death with propane cutting torches. Holy another, shit. Another inmate was hung from the upper tier of the cell block with sheets that had been tied together. The activity reported here is similar to those reported in cell block three. 23 of the inmates that were murdered during the riot were killed in cell block four. The laundry was the site of the of several murders, although they occurred long before the riot of 1980. It is located in a labyrinth of corridors that lie underneath the prison. These corridors also link the gas chamber, many mechanical rooms, and the tool room where the inmates stole the propane torches and other tools that were used during the riots. Uneasy feelings and whispers are often reported down there, as well as unusual unusual human shape shadows. Yeah, that's enough for me. That place needs to be burned down. I'm 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 saying close it, burn it down. Yeah, oh no. and they're using it. They use it for filming. Um, unusual phenomenon has also been reported by corrections officers and national guardsmen who use the facility for training. What? The commonly reported things are human shaped shadows and the burning flesh smell. God, you just gotta hope that the people that actually did get murdered, they're like they're not in between heaven and hell and they're there forever. Yeah. And if you have somebody go in there like to try and move their spirit on, where does it go? I don't know. I mean I think they're stuck there if you believe in that sort of thing. All right. So in two thousand eleven, Action Seven News, K O A T investigated the um New Mexico State Penitentiary. And during the filming, Brian Morton encounters strange noises. And cell doors closing by themselves. Like I said, the penitentiary was featured on the Travel Channel's Dead Files in Season 1, Episode 18. If anybody wants to go back and watch it, um, it, the episode's called Death Sentence with Amy Ellen and Steve DeShevo. And they basically interview two former corrections officers and they describe many of the same things. Um, also, they describe somebody that was, I think she was an expert, extra in one of the movies. And she goes into a cell. Okay. And she shuts the cell and she sits in there. Why did she shut the cell? I think she was like kind of doing like what the other guy did, like trying to get the experience. Like people, people do that at like, uh. What's that prison in San Francisco? The Rock. Alcatraz. Alcatraz. You hear of people doing that a lot. Like they'll, right. they'll shut they'll themselves. They'll try to and... close it. Try to absorb. Yeah. No. <laughs> the atmosphere. Absorb the atmosphere is what they're trying to do. And I'm, I'm like, not absorbing no, nothing. You ain't cutting. You, hell no. Are you shutting that gate button? Mm-mm. You can tell me the story. No you can point to the cell. I am not sitting in nobody's goddamn cell. No, no, not no, for no. a goddamn fucking minute. All right. So anyways, this this lady, she goes in and she sits in the cell and basically while she's sitting there, somebody's like, hello. Oh, no. Oh, no. And she just responds, hello. How are you doing? And it says something to the effect of I'm doing really good now. Oh, shit. That's fucking creepy as hell. Yeah. 
So she ends up taking something from the prison. I don't remember what it was. So I'm just oh like, my God. this is recall. Don't, haven't you ever seen the Brady Bunch? You don't take nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Not a the little Brady voodoo Bunch. doll. Or what was that? A little tiki doll from yeah. the sand. You don't, you don't take stuff that don't belong to you. Leave it alone. I'm saying. Leave it there. Don't touch it. No, <laughs> no lo tocas. Leave it there. So she takes something home. Oh my God, that she's not the brightest. And something follows her home, basically. You think? Girl. And so she's the one, I think, that initiated, like, the call to the show to come in because she just wants to know what's going on, if these things that are going on with her, like, have something to Girl, do with Girl, you stole some shit from a haunted <laughs> prison. What did you expect? And, um,. I, if you've ever watched, I know you probably haven't ever watched the show, but Amy <laughs> Ellen, she's a psychic. And Steve DeShevo, he's a, a former police officer. And they both kind of like do two different investigations okay. at separate times. So she goes in and she does her psychic thing and he does the whole investigation like investigative thing like a, a this detective. is behind story and stuff. no well he does it like a detective like oh, trying okay. to figure out piece things together like um the history of the prison uh interviews and all that kind of stuff then they come together and they both give their report to the person who's kind of asked them to investigate investigate and a lot of times it's pretty interesting really yeah so I'd say I'd watch it, but I'd be like, no, you, no, <laughs> I'd freak out. Like I said, this is actually um, the show that actually got me interested in this particular case. Okay. Amy Ellen, at one point, she says something to the effect of as there's an ancient evil here that has been here for a very long time. And then they built a prison on top of it. Oh, my God. So it basically garnered, like, in her, what she was trying to say, and you know what, of course, there's always skeptics out there, right. and somebody's going to take it as you will. She says that it basically fed off of the energy in the prison. I can imagine. If there's something, yeah, I can definitely imagine. I was going to say that the inmates probably, they were possessed by whatever the ancient thing underneath <laughs> that prison. A little, A it little sounds bit. like. I mean, they were possessed by something. Crazy. If not their own inclinations. There was a tour. Um, this is based on a tour. It says uh, something unusual occurred on this tour. The group. This is another story. The group was guided by two corrections officers. One in front and one in, followed the group. We were in the basement near the gas chamber. One of the corrections officers was explaining how the gas chamber was operated. Uh, since the actual room is small, a few people were allowed in. While the remainder of the group waited outside in the hallway. After the demonstration was given, the group went back out into the hall. Another group was allowed in. Just after the second group was moved out, metallic banging sounds came from the main hall, leading up to the main basement corridor. The corrections officer at the rear of the group and one of the participants of the, of the tour looked around the corner. And of course, no one was there. The tour participant took a photograph and then went into the gas chamber from the demonstration. While she was in the gas chamber room, she checked the camera to see the last picture that was taken. There's clearly a figure in the photo, despite the fact that neither person saw anyone. And I don't have a picture here, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to actually put it on our website if anybody okay. wants to take a look at it. And if you're listening right now, it's probably up. So you can go to www.tipsy-tales.com and go to the story and you'll see it There's, will it be on the ig page yeah we should yes. put it on there too okay. 
Um, the corrections officers were shown the picture and they quickly did a head count of the people in the tour with all the all accounted for. They radioed the control center and informed them that we had a visitor that was not authorized to be in the area. That visitor was never accounted for. Oh, no. That's my story of the New Mexico penitentiary known as Old Main. Oh. And apparently they have tours. They Some of them were more ghost-centric before, okay. but now the tours are not... More crime-centric or like true crime-centric or they're no, just not... No, just based on the, the history of the prison, but not... They try not to focus on the ghosts. Okay. So I can I can get that. I can understand that. It's a little fucking spooky. You know, in all honesty, I find it kind of odd that they're actually doing tours. I know the, the prison has history, but that they're actually doing tours of literally several people being tortured and killed. I think that one of the articles that I read was like the basically the reason that they didn't like demolish the prison was to you know kind of as a, a memorial as to the mistakes that were made oh i mean it I was get history that. it's I, it's 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 new mexico history it's part right. of their history i don't know i get it i mean i i went to um we went to philly we actually went to the eastern state penitentiary there oh, that was that's one i want to do that um super cool i mean we'll go over there it, right we'll no go there. We love i don't think so yeah i i you know what okay there's a lot of places that a lot of Ghost destinations that I'd like to visit. Okay. A penitentiary is not one of them. We go during the day. I mean, I went. I was surprised as shit. I actually, when I went, though, I'm I... actually surprised that you did too. <laughs> you know why? I'm going to tell you right now. I did actually know there was no ghost around there. They actually, um, yeah, I didn't realize that it was a haunted supernatural haunted prison. prison. I didn't know that. One of these days, I'm going to do that one too. It freaks me out, though, now that I think about it, because the place is spooky. Um... The other thing, though, is they actually do a big haunted prison during Halloween. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I am not the one. No. I'm, I'm like I've said before, like I'm interested in these things and I don't mind doing ghost tours and stuff. But prisons is one place that I just don't want to have any part of just because the type of people that died in those places. And because I tend to believe in those things. Right. I and and then after listening to this lady's account of something following her home. No thanks. No 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 no. no. I'm not no. <laughs> this is the one time like even like when I was reading and listening to some of the YouTubes and whatever like even I listened to Dead Files again and I was like uh Yeah, girl, I I don't do that at all. <laughs> For that exact reason. <laughs> well, you play that damn death rattle. <laughs> That shit was creepy as it hell. Was it freaked so me creepy. out. I wanted you to be just as freaked out as me. I, I mean, trust me, when saying. I listened to that, it was late at night. And I, I can just see like, your face like, <laughs> why would she send this to me? Why is she so mean? Is she Wh- having a mean girl moment? No, it was more like, why would a vet send this to me? <laughs> it was really weird. It was a whistle. <laughs> it was a whistle. <laughs> It kind of sounded like the scream that I let out when I saw that snake the other day. Oh my god, I told you, Alma. I was like, don't go over there. I don't have any luck with snakes. Oh no, girl. I'm like, I I am deathly afraid of snakes. I cannot even tell you. I actually love, love, love to hike. But since these snakes started coming out, um, actually, to be honest with you, there was one picture actually came up today 
in particular, as I used to go hiking all the time, I'd go three times around Thunderbird Mountain. And so um, one of those times when I was getting ready to leave, I saw one of my friends there. And she was super friendly, took a picture. I had, it's like the worst picture of life because I'm like mid 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 word so my mouth is like half open i have that dumbass look on my face <laughs> did she take the picture or did you she did someone okay. took the picture it's always picture. somebody it else that ten, takes the picture you're just flattering. like oh my god do i really like that <laughs> so then after i get home i get on facebook and she's like oh my god i saw two rattlesnakes and i'm like and so I, um, when I saw her at the cigar shop, I was like, you saw, when did you see two rattlesnakes? She's like, literally, where you had just come from. Freaked me out so bad that I have a really hard time going hiking at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know how much I, I'm a fan of those things. Hiking, exercising, those things. <laughs> I didn't so much. In like, general. I'll take a snake. I'll take I'll a take snake. A snake. <laughs> But no exercise or hiking for me. <laughs> I'll do it every once in a while if you I must. You love it. You enjoy if it. I must. I'll go with you. It's fine, fine, <laughs> fine. Anyways, anything else that you want to cover tonight? Um, I... <laughs> now you know what it looks like. I do know what it looks like. <laughs> After you got to help me edit that day, you, you understand the struggle. <laughs> yes. I was like... <gasps> No, but I would cut, like, cut it out. You're like, we can't cut everything out. Like, <laughs> cut it all I know. Out. I was talking to Albert that night before. He's like, oh, he's like, you know, you'll have a little bit more time on your hands if that can help you start doing um, the, the editing. editing. And I was like, honestly, I feel like if she's editing at this point, she's going to cut out the whole fucking <laughs> show. <laughs> whole part out like, <laughs> you're like you, know, you can't make me that look <laughs> i'm like we can't take everything out of that. <laughs> i'm like just somewhere take down the line out. something we say is not gonna make sense because we took that part out <laughs> there's no call back into any you're like uh why did she just randomly just say blurted, that say out of that, that out. out of nowhere that's hilarious have you read any good books like have books. I read any good yeah. books lately? That you want to recommend? Um, no, I haven't read any books lately. Honestly, I haven't had the time to read any books. I'm patiently awaiting George R. R. Martin's, his newest book. Okay. Whenever that comes out, it could be this year, it could be next year, it could be a year after that. Um, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. Same. As but, are you. But not reading the books, Game of Thrones. The books are I'm pretty. I'm like watching movies. Game of books. The books are Game pretty. Game of Thrones fan. Thick. But I love the books. Little Sergio hated the um, series. Did he? After Did he read the, the books? books? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like, I don't know. Honestly, like, I liked the direction they veered off into. Okay. When they kind of went off book, they went past where the books had ended. Okay. And it was like, I'm viewing it as an alternate universe. Or an alternate ending? No, just an alternate universe. Or an alternate ending? <laughs> yeah. Well, it will be. You're like, I said alternate universe. <laughs> How much wine did you drink? <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's not coming out until... They, at first it was April of 2019 okay but it sounds like it's gonna be closer to june of 2019 wow. okay so it's been years since he's finished a book though right 
Oh my god, yeah. It's yeah. It's so been it's forever. like long. I dance with dragons was the last book. Wow. Yeah. So, and then also Diana Gabaldon. She's another one of my favorite authors, and we're both huge Outlander fans. That we are. I cannot and you've get read through that maroon books. book. The fiery sword. I don't the, know. It's the fiery like, cross. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> It's literally sitting on my desk and I cannot get past like that. I might get sick page 62. Girl, when we were both like kind of neck to neck reading like all the books and stuff and uh, then like somewhere you just kind of like were like, I got ahead of you at some point. Those are and you were like big books. Like, and I couldn't wait to tell books. you. <laughs> yeah, she's, she, I love her. She's like, literally, I'm, this is, she's my favorite author. And that's what the fifth book, right? I think I'm on the fifth book. Yeah, I okay. think it is. So that's the thing is that you're absolutely right. I mean, I could not read these things fast enough. But after the after the, starting this first book, I it's not as intense as the other books are. Although right. I do the know pace that is they all kind of slow a little bit and then they rev up towards the middle. Right. But getting to I that middle. I think Fiery Cross, that was the one that I had the hardest time getting through. Okay. Like I had to push myself through certain parts of that book. Honestly, if like it, you asked me what's in that particular book, I probably wouldn't remember. I know everything about the first Outlander book and then everything after that is just like a blur because <laughs> when I get like these books that are series, I become a glutton. Like Same. I get the first book and then like I have to hurry up and go find the and second book. And you just literally and binge then, them all. And, it's and then like- I was at that point, like it was like, forget going to Barnes and Noble. I was downloading them. Right. So, and, and nothing was getting done in my house at that point. Um, I was doing the dishes literally with like a tablet in front of me, like, and then just like sliding it like page to page while I'm doing the dishes. And it took me like two hours. (laughs) So yeah, uh, life slowed down there for a minute. (laughs) I hear you. I get that with books too, believe it or not. Um, the one other one I had a really hard time getting into, but I eventually, ended up loving was the girl with the dragon tattoo oh my god it took me forever to get through that whole really? court scene it drove me nuts i love of which scene the court scene where he's going to court it's the first oh book. yeah yeah but after that i was like in i could not stop reading my husband would get all frustrated and be like are you done with that book yet i read the first two books i only read the first one because i saw the movies afterwards and i lost interest at that point did you yeah I don't know. Like I said, Diana Gubbledon, if nobody's ever read the Outlander series, like she, like her way of writing and her, the way she describes things, it's like it puts you right there. Yeah. You can almost smell, smell, taste, hear. It's like HD writing. I'm gushing. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's not a problem. Yeah. And that's about to come out. um, November. In November. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a month away, and we're going to do our... Holy shit, November is a month away. Oh, my God. We're going to do our first premiere night, are we? Yeah, definitely. So we've made a tradition ever since the Outlander show started. On the premiere night, we kind of make Scottish food and... we. She says very nicely, we, but it's mostly her. <laughs> I come up with some, silent, some sort of concoction, and I call it Scottish and put cute little pictures and with toothpicks of, of outlander characters in the movie but she really cooks it up i mean she made some leek soup her meat pies cock-a-leaky. Are, cock-a-leaky soup. <laughs> <laughs> the meat pies she makes are amazingly awesome yeah scotch scotch and more scotch 
I'm in yeah, it for the lots scotch. Of scotch. Lots of scotch for that first episode. I know. I got to get to this book, though, because I think we're going to be caught up after this. After this. After yep. this. Yeah. I can't wait. Yay. So have you read anything? You know what? I actually started reading The Alchemist. Um, one of the girls that I'm Facebook friends with, April, mentioned that it was a great book. And other people have mentioned it was a really good book. So I started reading it online. And I haven't gone through it yet. Paolo Coelho? Yeah. Okay. And so I haven't gone through it yet, not for the lack of, of, oh my God, I just don't care for it. I just haven't had the time. I have a stack of books literally on my dresser that I'm trying to get through. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm kind of doing now. I'm kind of thinking about rereading Pride and Prejudice because I love the movie so much, but that is a book. No, it's not even that long. It's not, but the print is real small. <laughs> oh my, my eyes are old Download eyes. it and then make the print bigger. Girl, I don't like downloading my books. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. So I just got to get big print for old people. I feel now. like, okay, so like I told you, like how I binged on the whole Outlander, right. all the books and stuff. So I bought the first two books. Okay. And then I downloaded all the other books all the way up until a dance with dragons and then i went and bought that and it was a hard copy so i feel like i need to go buy all those those books just to have in my library so i can have like that complete set oh, i hear you you could probably get them relatively cheap nowadays yeah, too. probably probably i actually was laughing because i went i i love thrift store shopping so how far are we along oh we're almost to two hours but it's oh, okay because okay. there's gonna be a few things cut out so okay. we're, we're fine so um i love thrift store shopping so as i went to the goodwill to kind of see what i can find tons and tons and tons and tons of twilight books and their whole series there in hardback people are just like eh, sparkly vampires i actually still have all those books Girl, so do i i, I love, love those the books, books. I hate I love the movies. Those books. Okay, I don't hate the movies. The movies but totally they... ruin the books for me. Yeah, I gotta. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They totally ruin the books for me. I enjoyed the movies for the time being, but going back to them after watching them, a especially second that time, last one where they divided it in two, and I was just like, okay, this is hard to watch. <laughs> yeah, I actually I actually saw the movie first, so that's the reason why I actually went and read the book, and the book was amazing. But what I found more amazing was the online Edwards version. Was it? Yeah, you didn't. Read I never it? read it. No, I remember you told me like because we were all reading the books at the same time. I remember right. you were like, I was just like, I don't, I don't know. It was actually I have a hard time reading the first book because his version was so much more intense, and I really liked it. She actually stopped it like halfway because it got leaked out. But yeah, I really liked his version of it. But yeah, I could read those books over and over again. Uh, I'm a big sucker. I don't for know. That. Somebody ruined it for me. Like they were just talking about some of the like. This is does it rhyme with Salbert? <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, I think it was my sister. Oh. And then after I started thinking about it, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, you're right. Like some of the subjects that were dealt with in there, like yeah. Edward's a stalker. Yeah. For lack of a better word. Him staring at her, just showing up in her... her, I'm sorry if I'm going to ruin the books for you, but yeah, just showing up and staring at her in the window, and I'm just like, that's creepy. I think a a lot of these were concerns before, to be honest with you, and I think that when it came to the movie, they tried to, not backtrack, but so much kind of answer some of the concerns that a lot of people were saying, you're teaching and that it's okay for little girls to be stalked. Right. Um, and I think that's why sometimes the movies didn't come across as well as the books did. Right. So. Yeah, when I was read- reading the books, I like read them straight through. Same. When you actually see them in visual with all the dramatic music. Uh, and, and-, and I pictured everybody so different. Yeah. 
And then there was the whole relationship at the end of everything between um, Wolf Guy. Bella and Jacob? No, Jacob and the daughter. Oh, that was right. Kind of creepy, too. Yeah, super. It was creepy. For It was weird in the book, and I was just kind of like, okay, that's weird. The imprinting thing and whatever. But in the movie, it just seems so... So much more. You try explaining that part with Jacob and the little girl to yeah. your husband, and you're like, he's like, what? Yeah. Albert tried to humor me and watch like some of them with me, right. like after Sergey they came, came out. Yeah, after they came out on uh, in on cable, and he's like, okay, I'll watch it with you. And I I don't know. There's something about watching something with your husband. That makes you take another critical view of it. Like, it's I like agree. almost you to look at it from his angle and you're like, okay, yeah, that's weird. That's oh really my God, that's fucking really weird. Because <laughs> you know they're going to talk shit. So that's yeah. just what it comes down to. So. Yeah. So you like put the, yourself in their shoes and then you're like, <sighs> okay. Sergio starts fucking being as sarcastic as he can possibly be and starts mimicking in his, oh my God, I did do it. And I'm just like, just turn off the movie. Turn off the fucking movie because I just cannot even watch it with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? That's what they're doing. And I'm just like, turn it off. Turn it off. Turn it off. Okay, so that was our deep dive into... Holy shit, books that have nothing to do with true crime at all. <laughs> nothing to do with what we were talking about, but so, it, it, we needed some sort of deviation from um, the serious shit that we were sad, talking about sad, today. sad, serious shit that we're talking about today, so... So, anyways, that's our show tonight, everybody. Have a good weekend. Good night. Good night. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Tipsy Tales. Music by Jesse Pesqueda, artwork by Sergio Hernandez. And if you're listening on iTunes, please don't forget to rate and review. Thanks.